Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Even on a budget, quality is non negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to Quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Connecting to the big show. In three, two, one. We are in no position to be able to defend ourselves in any way whatsoever. Ireland is defenseless. Every time that it happens, we have to talk about how the good men feel. Help us. Without G backing us, putting it on the air and telling the people how important it is, then it wouldn't have gone anywhere. We're the one for Cork and ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 0818 96 96 96. Extra WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The lines are live. Let's kickstart the conversation. This is the opinion line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. Must tell you, there is a bottleneck. The mother and father of all bottlenecks in the J1 system. We read out a message yesterday that randomly came in from someone who was experiencing a bottleneck, trouble, a delay with the processing of their J1 visa application. And my goodness, we were snowed under. So we'll come back to that one later this morning. Also, for the last couple of weeks, we have been tic-tacking with the Minister for Disabilities, the Office of the Minister for Disabilities, Anne Rabbit. She will join me on the show later this morning to talk about the issues that come up on the opinion line day in, day out, week in, week out, to do with disabilities and disability services uh, in Cork. That's to come, 0818 96 96 96. Also, uh, we're back again with our friends Aiken Promotions, uh, live at the Marquee, giving you tickets to to see Crowded House. So if you're a Crowded House fan, I warn you, you'll need to be a fan. It's just a quick snatch of a tune. That is all to come. But first of all, back to the Jack Lynch Tunnel. And it seems to have done its job this morning admirably. I speak of the censors that caused so much hassle in the last few weeks when they were picking up on overheight vehicles a bit late and effectively closing the tunnel down and causing mayhem and backlogs and all of that. This morning, Josh editor of Cork Bureau, this morning it really did its job quite admirably diverting, diverting a huge vehicle after spotting its number plate. Good morning. Good morning, how are you doing? Yeah, it's um, we were passing through, uh, passing through the tunnel myself every uh, every morning now, and uh, saw uh, an example of how the system should work. Um, by actually the giant overhead uh, displays uh, by the little island turn off showing um, 
detecting via the cameras, uh, detecting an overheight vehicle was actually it seemed to be a big uh, tractor pulling a huge trailer with bales to, uh, piled up on top of it. It actually flashed um, overheight um, the number of the... Joe, just let, let me try and clean that line up. For some reason, your line is great until we go to you. We'll try and tidy it up a little bit and come back to him there in just a second. But what happened, you remember the picture that went around last week, which was this truck on top of a truck, on top of a truck, on top of a tractor. This monstrosity that looked like something out of a stunt show. That caused hell to pay last week at the tunnel. Uh, this morning, as Joe was saying, it was a big tractor full of bales, of roundy bales. You know, these rolled up bales. And as as I'll, he'll explain when I have him back, here he is. So, Joe, the sensors and the cameras picked up on the truck, yeah? Yeah. Yeah, it's as as you can see in Cork, you always the story up there. Um, the, the the sensors pick they they measure the 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 height of the vehicle and the, and the load that it's carrying, and it's always the trailer at the back. Obviously, that's the problem. Uh, what it does then it uses a, a automatic number plate recognition uh, AMPR. It's called. Uh, it's used by the guards a lot. Uh, and what it does is it reads the the reg on the. Uh, the vehicle, and then it flashes up on those giant overhead, uh, you know, displays, mm. uh, safety information, overheight, the the uh, the number, the reg of the of the vehicle you're driving, and d- divert, D I V E R T, as in don't come near the tunnel, mm. take another route. We've detected you're over 4.65 meters, and if you try to go through the tunnel, it'll automatically shut down, and we'll have to back you up and get you out somewhere else. Which is what was happening. Um, on a very regular basis uh, for the past few weeks because the new systems went in in March, the new sensors. They were, they were a bit too sensitive in some respects and also they took away uh, the wriggle room that had been there where vehicles slightly over mm. 4.65 were getting through. So it looks like they've, they've fine-tuned it, they've looked at the software, they've looked at the sensors and yesterday uh, with, the, with this giant bed, uh, trailer full of uh, hay bales, that was a good example of how it should work. Yeah. How far out does the driver know he needs to divert? Because if he's down the hill on either side, it's yeah. going to have a problem. Yeah. Well, we were coming, we were looking, this is coming in from the, um, from the little island side, and it was a good distance. It was about a kilometre out where they, ha- where they have the actual system. So it should, it does warm drivers in good time. Okay. It does let them know, and it does flash up the reg number. So, I mean, it's like almost, they're almost shouting at you, hey, you in that truck, you know pull into a different lane because you ain't getting through the tunnel with that, you know. Mm. So the problem is, and we've talked to the TII, and part of the problem was a lot of the drivers who are used to going through that tunnel uh, on a regular basis every day, some of them, you know, for the, for, with the big supermarkets, for instance, they were kind of used to getting through, kind of going, well, I know it's, strictly speaking, it's 4.65 metres, but I got through, you know, last week, the week before, and we always get through, so it isn't a problem. But these new sensors are very strict, so anything, a centimetre over 4.65, and, you're, and they will flash and the system is automatic and it will immediately shut you down. I could see problems there for something like the Musgrave delivery fleet in and out yeah. because they're, they're, they come in there down, as you know, down, down near Harvey Normans. They have a huge yeah. depot down there and they would naturally come in the tunnel. That could be problematic yeah. for them, I guess. Yeah, it's it's it, there are there are <laughs> without wishing to name individual companies, there were a few 
companies that do have a high volume of, of uh, trucks going through that tunnel. And to be fair to them, it was never a problem before yeah. with specific trucks. It was never a problem. They always got through. But now it's suddenly or fairly suddenly, it's like you can't come this way anymore and they need to get the message. TIA has been on to the big companies and to the major haulage companies and have warned them about this. And they've said, please t- let your drivers know they can't go through the tunnel anymore if they're over 4.65. It's going to result possibly in anyone using the tunnel they're going to have, I mean, have to buy their own scanners, I guess, so that before they leave the depot, the truck actually <laughs> well, be measured. Yeah, well, they shouldn't. They should know what height. They should know what height they are. The weird thing is, I came in. I I didn't go through the tunnel this morning. I came in at Tivoli Road, uh, Lord Glamour Road, and there was loads of overheight trucks on that because they could no longer go through the. Um, the uh, the tunnel obviously so it, actually I hit a big tailback uh, by by the by the hotel there um, at about uh, about quarter past eight so it is it's affecting it's changing traffic patterns in Cork and it's changing for for, for good and for bad and people are going it's going to take time for people to get the hang of it and especially for the guys driving the big HGV. Okay, Joe, thank you, Joe Shea, editor of Cork Bio. So the sensors now doing their job at the Jack Lynch Tunnel. If you're too high, you'll be told you're too high in in good time. Divert. He ain't getting through. 0818 96 96 96 Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie Cork loves the arts. We do too. That's why we bring you the Arts House. Every Sunday on Quartz 96 FM. Hi, it's Elmery. Join me on Sunday morning when we take a look at what's happening in the arts in Cork and help you plan some great nights out at the theatre or see the latest films on release, catch a brilliant music gig or find the perfect book to get stuck into. The Arts House. Sunday mornings 8 to 10. With Griffin's Potatoes. Straight from our soil to your table. Griffin's Potatoes are simply nutritious and delicious. Courts 96 FM. Tickets today for you to see Crowded House live at the Marquee, June 27th. This is almost at the end of the festival. And dinner beforehand at Sober Lane. Two tickets to see Crowded House. We want the name of the song and your name. I warn you, it's a short snatch. Very short snatch. The name of the song and your name to 0818 96 96 96. Let you hear us again during the morning. Kira, you contacted us yesterday after I read out a message to do with J1 visas. There does seem to be a bottleneck. What's your own experience? Yeah, so I applied when I said, you know what, I'll, I'll head away to America for the summer you know, the last two years, we haven't had the opportunity. There's a lot of people who couldn't go in the last couple of years. They're getting to their final year of college and this is their only opportunity to go. So um, I said we'd head away. We have deadlines to be made. So with the J1 process, it's now mandatory to have a job over there. Mm. And there's various different companies that offer um, cover to bring you over so there's USIT, SAIT and J1 Ireland and the one in particular that I went with was USIT um, as it was recommended the most to me and mm. to many of my other friends. And how does it work here? You pay them a fee and they do all the heavy lifting, they set it all up that's that's the plan at least. 
exactly that. So you have a fee to register. It's 100 euro, non-refundable. And that's just to get you up in the system. Say you've applied, you're interested in going. And following that, you can, there's two options. So you can pay 850 euro to get your own job, or you can pay 1,300 euro. And they will find a job for you. They will sort all the hassle of insurance, you know, over and back to contacting with um, employers, you could say, on the other side in the States. And are you paying for flights in this fee? No? No, no. You have to pay for your own flights yourself. Right, right. And you have to pay for your embassy interview, which is also another 160 euro. So the whole thing costs about how much? Let's say you want them to sort the job. How much? So job, the job, um, you could say program is one tree. Flights are working about, we hope to go to San Diego. So flights are working at about a thousand return, um, depending, you know, when you want to go. And as you know, there's a massive, you know, everyone wants to go to America this summer because like I mentioned, no one's been able to go. So yeah. the flights are snapped up they're really really popular so they're just going up and up every day they know that they have people willing to go the flights are just going up every day mm. 80 quid up another 80 quid the following day it's it's crazy prices for students yeah and, and you haven't been able to book those flights yet because you don't know the situation with regards to your visa when do you find that out it's everyone is in this uncertainty you know i think it's very unfair every step was followed, every deadline was made, you know, every payment was made on my behalf. And I think, you know, there's no clarity given that they have these kind of like empty promises, we'll we'll make you there, we'll get you there. But so basically I sent all my forms off a a long time ago, hadn't heard, definitely by the end of February, I have my stuff sent off by. uh, And on the last week of March, I got an email saying, you know, um, that I hadn't, something needed to be changed anyway, something was wrong in my forms, sent them off on the 7th of April, had heard nothing yet, so I said, okay, they're sent off, I'm good to go. Mm. And, and do they give you an estimate when you apply of how long it takes? You know, like, the, <laughs> I wouldn't want to bring up the dreaded passport situation at the moment, but, you know, is there a certain amount of weeks you're expected to, to be waiting? Yeah, so there go-ahead date is the 15th of May. So a lot of people expect, so the 15th of May is your go-to date for America and five days later is when you can start your job. So you need to be in America five days before your job it can start. So most people were kind of heading out between the 15th of May and, you know, their jobs are kind of starting from the 20th to the up to kind of the first week of June, which for me, my job was starting on the 21st and I had to get in contact with my employer and say, look, I'm not hearing anything back from these people. I don't think I'll be able to make it that day. And she was like, okay, I understand. So hold on, you, you've got a job lined up. Was that lined up for you through, the, through this process or did you find it yourself? No, I had to find the job You found myself. it yourself. So you're now already going to be late to start that job because you haven't got your, your paperwork yet. And you are going to fly when? Um, the 1st of June, I was planning to fly, but, you know, um, it's looking highly, highly unlikely because my papers have been delayed upon delayed upon delayed. Um, so I sent them on the 7th of April and on the 21st, having contacted them via social media, various emails, 
um, I got an email back saying on the 21st of April saying that my date needed to be changed on my papers to recontact with my employer that she needs to agree to a different um, date of start work because I would not get over until mm. the earliest, the third week of June. So, you know, I got a change that was okay. And on the 26th of April, another week later, I emailed, you know, has it been sent? You know, has it, how's it getting on? So I ended up ringing them. I was on the phone for over an hour and a half on hold. And I eventually got through to, she was lovely. She was as helpful as she could be, you know, mm-hmm. um, but it was still uncertain. And I was told that day that my papers were sent and I would have two days later um, confirmation. And, you know, now it's the 5th of May hearing nothing yet and I feel like I would be in the exact same situation if I hadn't rang. Um, I've some of my friends who I hope to go with are after pulling out because they've just been in the same place for the last month or so and they just they just said they can't afford the uncertainty of missing out money on flights and you know this that and the other thing. Yeah it's all very very uncertain and I think at the at the moment you're trying to do exams, which makes life even more stressful. Yeah, it's it's crazy now. For, in my instant now, I'm doing nursing in college. So we're after coming off an eight-week placement, which was really hard. And now we're heading into exams. And then we have two to three weeks of, will my papers arrive? Will I get an embassy interview? Which is another issue I'd like to speak to you about. because yeah. You haven't had that yet? No, so you can't have your interview unless your papers have been signed and sent off by your sponsor. So for me, I haven't got my papers. They say estimate four to six weeks. So whenever I get them, it will be four to six weeks from that date. And once they are approved, I will have a code that I can apply for an embassy interview. Now, some of my friends are a lot um, further in the process. And they said all of... Um, May is after being booked up. The first two weeks of June, there's no embassy interviews. Crikey. So here you are, supposed to go, you were hoping to go in early June. You still haven't been called for your embassy interview. Uh, exactly. All this uncertainty is crazy. Kira, we contacted USIT yesterday on behalf of the people who were coming to us after I read out the first message. And, and they say that... There was a rollover of applications from 2020 and 21, a backlog built up over Easter. And they say they have a threefold plan, a fully resourced staff of 20, working six days a week, covering about 350 applications per day. They say they're shortening their email response time. They are doing Q&A sessions online Tuesday and Thursday. They finish by saying that the utmost confidence that anyone who sent a full application and paid the correct fee with USIT will be travelling and working stateside this summer. That's their statement. How does it sound to you? Um, I think they co- I think they did cover up saying that someone will be working stateside during the summer, but I think the issue that we're trying to portray is when do we get over? Because it's it's looking unlikely that it's going to be last couple of weeks in June, which realistically is not much of a summer. When would you have to come back? If you go in the end of June, when would you need to be back? Where I'm heading into final year next year. I have internship and I won't be heading anywhere next summer. This is my only summer to, you know, to go and do something. But when would you need to be back to start that? Um, we start on the first week of September. So I probably want to be back about the week beforehand. 
that's cutting your summer in America rather short. Kira, I hope it works out for you. Yeah. They tell us they're doing their absolute best, but I really do hope it works out for you. Thank you. Thank you. That's Kira. Uh, the state. I just quoted the basics of the statement uh, to her there. But what Jay, what they tell us at USIT with regard to J ones, there are a number of different stages, including screening, interview, job matching, job interviews, vetting, and compliance of US employers. So the entire process can take time. We work through the many stages with our US sponsors. The rollover of applications from 2020 and 21 as well as a backlog over the Easter period due to public holidays and COVID-19-related illness, have caused some delays to the Irish J-1 process. To combat this, USIT has developed a three-fold plan. We have a fully resourced team of 20 staff working through all the J-1 applications six days a week, processing over 350 applications per day. We have also ensured our email response time is within a 48-hour period, and we've extended the frequency of our virtual Q&A sessions to twice a week. They now take place every Tuesday and Thursday from 4 to 4.45pm and they're proving extremely useful to applicants as they navigate the process. We're grateful to our hard-working team and the patience shown by our customers. We encourage those seeking an update on their application status to email j1 at usit.ie. We note that our social media managers are not best placed to support these queries. We can say with the utmost confidence that anyone who has sent a full application and shared the correct corresponding fee with USIT will be travelling and working stateside this summer. That's the text of a statement issued to the opinion line yesterday following a number of queries that came in about J1s through USIT. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie Cork's Gold Imro Award winning sports show. Right, right here, right there. The score on Cork's 96FM. Join me, Trevor Welch, Sundays from 2 for the best music mix and all the latest sports as we bring you all the big batch reaction from Cork versus Kerry in the Monster Senior Football Championship. And Manchester City, Arsenal, West Ham and Everton are all in Premier League action. Right here, right there. Join Trevor Welch for the score this Sunday from 2pm on Cork's 96FM. Now we've been speaking to the organisers and some of the participants in the FUS March now for a couple of weeks. FUS March taking place in Cork, Dublin and Wexford tomorrow Friday. Uh, the 6th of May, and a large turnout expected. And and part of what's causing the fuss march to happen, as it were, and I have said this, uh, is things just don't seem to change in, in terms of disability and services and education for children and indeed adults with a disability. And in advance of the Fuss March. Uh, we requested an interview with the responsible minister, uh, Deputy Anne Rabbit, who joins me now. Uh, minister, good morning. Good morning, Peter. Thank you for being with me on the opinion line. I come from a, a place of some personal connection here, Minister, in that I am the parent of a young man with a disability. Now, he's, he's 24. He enjoys robust good health physically. But the little problems that we had with him when he was four and the problems that he had when he was 14, they haven't gone away. 
So the four-year-olds of today and the 14-year-olds of today are facing the same problems. And people are sick of it, Minister. Yes, and um, that's what I'm trying to do, is to bring about change that um, that the, the, the repeated cycle of failure and disengagement has to stop. Um, because for once and for all, um, the, it's not like we don't know how to solve some of the problems that you talk about, PG, or any of your previous callers into the opinion line or anybody who turned up at my meeting in Cork. Um, there has to be ways to bring better services and to bring um, an re- end to the repeated cycle of failure. Yeah. Now, mention the meeting in Cork. I'm glad you brought it up because we spoke to some people in the wake of it, Minister. And uh, had, I, had I known I might have attended myself, it, it happened sort of under my radar. But here's Katie Healy, who contacted us the following day. And she had spoken at that meeting. And, and this was her response or her reaction to, to how she felt she was received. I was telling Anne Rabbit, my daughter struggles. How we have got a bath seat that was donated to us by a family whose child has passed away. Because the HSE will not provide our daughter, who has a very rare genetic condition. There's only one other person globally who has the same variant as Penelope. So we don't know what to expect. She has a movement disorder. She cannot be bathed with dignity. And, and the HSE do nothing to help because it's not, the, the equipment that we need for Penelope is not on a contract list. It, it is inhumane. And when I was telling Anne Rabbit this, at the very end, she said, okay, next person. They feel they felt a bit brushed off, Minister. Well, well, I'm sorry that people felt that they were brushed off, PJ. Um, well, the meeting didn't start till nearly quarter to eight. It should have started at half, or sorry, quarter to eight. It should have started at half seven. And I apologise again about the the delay on it. Um, I don't think I would want that opinion that I would have brushed anybody off. Um, I apologise if people felt they were brushed off. There was approximately 150 in the room. As I said, it started around quarter to eight and it didn't finish till quarter past 11. I tried to give everybody enough time to to have their their opportunity to speak and have their voice heard. And I thought it was very important Mm -hmm. that people have their voice heard because, see, the the, the sad thing in all of this, PJ, is it's not a carbon copy of... Every case is an individual case. Every case that we talk about, it is about an individual, about a person, about a child. Mm -hmm. And those parents had to have their time to talk. And I apologise again if if that lady felt brushed off. That wasn't the intention. And the content of what she said... that's not good enough in 2022. No, it's not, PJ, and I won't accept that, nor, nor would any of my, my colleagues accept that. And it was I was actually in um, Ashbourne only this week in, on Tuesday night, and the same repeated issues came up again about aids and appliances, trying to access aids and appliances. And, and that night in Cork, a lady talked about how her, her child had outgrown the wheelchair and exactly the same story came up again um, on, on Tuesday night mm-hmm. about the length of time it takes to get it processed, approved. And then when it comes, like we know children grow in sports um, in those development years. And to get a wheelchair to realise then it actually doesn't meet their needs. They've outgrown it. You need to send it back. Mm-hmm. And you're back into that cycle again. Uh, and 
that is a huge frustration that there is no mm. particular way of expediting. Um, and that's down to every CHO. Every CHO have their own budget for aids and appliances. While there is a central budget of 540 million PJ is mm. the central budget for aids and appliances to sit in rooms and to hear parents saying it took yeah. so long, they outgrown it. That's wrong. So, so what are you doing about it? Um, well, that, that piece in it, when I transfer to the Department of Equality, I'm doing two things. A is to have a section within the 540 million health for aids and appliances. And secondly, I'm working with the WHO in developing what I would call a list of um, approved products that actually we hold on a register at all times. And the mm. likes of um, Penelope's mom, what she spoke about there was in, in actual fact where they don't have it, that we will be able to work with other sister countries right across Europe mm. to be able to source it in. See, the issue so is how long all of that proper... takes, like you just said, you have a, you have a double issue no. there. Yeah, but what the problem, what we need to do is because of the rarity of some of the conditions, we need to have partners across Europe, part of the WHO, which we hope to be a part of and a leader in, in relation to aids and appliances and assistive technology. We're too small of a country not to be partnered up with bigger countries to be able to source those products. Mm, okay. Now, again, it's not just the the people who have the disability it's it's the carers and i we our my our office sent you on a, a full copy of this particular interview which was with julianne kaneen who has her own issues she's profoundly deaf so she conducted the entire interview uh, through lip reading but her son uh, is 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 disabled and, and she's trying to care for him in very limited and very very difficult situations and and then she gave me one of the most seriously honest and saddest interviews I've ever heard. I'm forgotten. I'm not worth looking after. I don't say that. I'm not worth looking after. I've spent my life being a carer, falling into the carer role. Um my mom got sick with cancer and I I looked after my mom. Uh, then my mom died and now I'm looking after Liam and I actually feel worthless. I feel I'm not worth anybody looking after me because isn't that what our government is saying? Carers are worthless. We're not entitled to any services and we're not entitled to any support. So I'm the scum in the pond. I'm the lowest of the lowest. Um, I don't think anybody would mind if I died. Minister Anne Rabbit has the person responsible for the provision of the services she's talking about. How does that make you feel? <laughs> How does it make me feel? It makes me very embarrassed that if somebody would have um, those sorts of feelings and um, that is not what I would want anybody to feel, nor would this government want anybody to feel. And on the night in question, that lady also spoke, and myself and, and Podrick O'Sullivan, the local deputy there, have, have had long conversations about that particular um, conversation. But yet again, um, she articulated exactly feelings that other parents also felt in the room, PJ, and it's, it's important to say that. Um, 
that a lot of carers feel um, very forgotten. They feel their voices are, isn't heard mm-hmm. and they feel when they're trying to engage with services that they get forgotten. That's one of the reasons, PJ, I'm doing these meetings mm. is to give parents an, an opportunity, OK, an opportunity who, whose voice never gets heard at, at a particular level, an opportunity for the HSC to come and hear in a very public format as to what we need to be doing to support. Because if I'm correct, her son also had a, a cochlear implant, which is can be a, a very, very mm. successful operation. Right. And then he got no speech and language to No, he got that. no speech and support, PJ. That's exactly it. And that is a failure. Mm. And there's nobody going to deny now, that. Now, these failures, the Minister, are not new. And, and, and no. I, I sense from you that you really do want to do something about it. But then you practically had to beg for meetings with the, with the important decision makers. Who's in charge here, Anne Rabbit? You or the HSE? Well, let's put it, since all that um, conversation started about me looking for meetings, like it's not to do yesterday, PJ, I started looking for meetings. I've been looking for meetings on a one-to-one basis with each of the CHOs since last October, November. Okay, Mm. let's be very, very clear about that. And while I was having meetings with the the lead agencies uh, accompanied by the CHOs, um, the, 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 that process wasn't allowed to, to, to continue. Uh, and I actually was very disappointed because... Mm. Who, who what, has the power to tell the minister you can't have a meeting, though? Who has that power? Well, well the, the, the good news in a PJ is thanks to, to, to Minister Donnelly uh, and to Paul Reid, that has been overturned and my meetings will continue, will, will start the way I intend it to be. For the simple reason being, and the reason I'm holding the ministerial forums is what what are the experiences in Cork are quite different to what they were the other night in Ashburn. I'll give you an example why. Because the night in Cork also, there was the issue around um, the special schools, the new school, special school that was built, um, the withdrawal of the therapists um, from the schools and yeah. the lack of services going yeah. back in. Progressing disability, what a, what a misnomer. It's worse it's getting. <laughs> But what has happened on the back of that public meeting, PG, was um, some of the principals were there, some of the board members were there. We went on the last Monday, two weeks, I think, we had our meeting in Limerick, myself and a number of the principals, along with, with Podrick O'Sullivan and Bernard O'Regan, head of disability operations within the HSC, where we clearly had a really open and frank conversation for an hour and a half about how the services has been withdrawn from the schools, the impact it has had on the, the pupils, the parents and the wider school teaching community. And from that, a clear direction was given to the teachers tell us what you had before COVID uh, and they've all supplied us with the information. I've spoken to Minister McGrath and to Minister and the Taoiseach on this. The HSE have gone away now to validate it but mm. I've given a clear commitment. We will be reinstating mm. therapists back into school okay. and I am quite confident in that. Okay. Because people do ask the question time and time again Minister, who is in charge? We elect people like you, we elect our Taoiseach, we elect other people, we elect people like you Minister Rabbit, and this isn't personal, to do a job. And, and it seems to be that a large body of civil servants and, and officials and managers are telling you how to do your job. Which, that sounds very, very
very bad to people. Let me just read one or two of the things that are coming in. And again, these will not be new stories. My son is five, non-verbal, autistic, has been moved from early intervention to a new panel set up for age five and over. The manager of this new team never answers the phone. When she does, after a lot of trying, told us our son was a priority, but wouldn't give us a date on when he'd be seen for speech therapy. That was the first contact. Next contact, she said she couldn't give us a date to get seen. It would be the end of the summer. The reason she wouldn't give a date was because of COVID. Now he's not a priority as he's not choking. And there's a lot of kids in worse conditions than our son. As far as I know, if your child is choking, you would not be looking for speech therapy. I'd like to ask the minister, do these sound like very professional or correct way to, to talk to people? And there are, there are many more. Uh, yes, this is like deja vu. I've been listening to minister after minister saying things like Minister Rabbit is saying. Why is it government policy in this country to treat disabled people as second class citizens? It's not government policy to treat um disabled people like second class citizens. Unfortunately, the treatment of um, families and loved ones when they try to uh, engage with the services, it is not the standard that any of us would want. Like one thing I will be very critical about the HSE is their communication. The idea that we cannot answer the phone, the idea that we cannot have clear communication. That's people, one woman stood up in Cork that evening, she says, just tell us the truth. Tell us exactly what the plan is, because we can live with the truth. But don't be brushing us off from month to month to month and, and not telling us. And what again, what and, are you that, doing about that? Yeah, that, that my, myself and my, my teammate here, Noel, we are clearly at a very high level with the HSE, asking them and working with them since these meetings have started about real communication pathways. That, to me, is the essence of a lot of our problems. When you don't understand what's going on, who's your team manager, what what service are you within, when can you expect to see services, and what does good look like, as opposed to spending all our time on paper exercises doing IFSP after IFSP. Have, have you put this to Paul Reid, you know, the man who's being paid more than the Taoiseach and more than the, than the President to fix all this? Have you said to him, Mr Reid, this is not good enough, do something? Well, actually, what I said to Paul Reid this day last week is this is not working. And I've asked him for a meeting of which I think we're direct to have one next week. Um, myself and my team within disabilities, along with Paul Reid and his team, because it is not working, PJ. No, it isn't working and it hasn't worked for your predecessors. Uh, it didn't work even though she tried for our own Kathleen Lynch here locally. It didn't work for anybody who held the, the portfolio back along because, again, it seems to be the HSE pulling the strings until somebody cuts those strings, we're going to remain in trouble. Like, here's a, a, a call that we've had uh, from a father. He's had continuous dealings with the Department for Disabilities, for Education and the HSE over his son's education. He's at his wit's end. If we sent you the details, would, would, might you talk to him? Yes, of course I will, PJ. But PJ, can I have the opportunity as well to say, as, as a Minister of State and, and in a government um, where um, we do care, like... Every time I look for funding to, to, to improve and develop on services, I am supported by Minister McGrath. I'm supported by all my government um, colleagues um, in ensuring that I get the funding. Like, so when I talk about Cork and Kerry, since I came into office, over 11 million new money has gone down your side. Yeah. 11 million. And that's to improve But you see, services. no one's questioning that the money's being spent, I think, to be fair. No one questions the money. We well, know how money much money goes into the health service. We get to the end years... 
But no, but I'm just specifically talking about disabilities, PJ. I'm specifically talking about the school leavers. I'm specifically talking about the PDS model. I'm specifically talking about respite and day services. Because, see, disability is not overly complex. It's actually broken down fairly easily enough. So I am sourcing the funding. I'm giving it to the HSE to pass on to the providers. But unfortunately, it is not getting to the end users. Mm -hmm. As Minister of State, it is my job to understand where the roadblocks are so as that the families that come on your show, on your opinion piece, that they actually, their their experience changes and that the end user is getting supported. Mm. My son is 12. He was turned down from the service when he was a baby. He's still not getting anything and is now back with the HSE looking for services and getting no help and being pushed from one person to another. Everyone in government is the same. They just want people that are healthy. They don't want to deal with our kids. I, I know you say you're doing you're doing what you can, and I'm sure you are, but this is the reality of the calls I'm getting. Yes, it is, PJ, and that's that, that is the reality of what I'm experiencing at my meetings as well and what has been, and I hope when I come back down um, to, to CHO4 Cork Curry the next time, um, that the HSC will attend with me. They didn't in the previous meeting, but last week or just earlier this week in Ashburn, they did attend. And I have to thank Bernard and, and Paul for ensuring that I have got support at the meetings because parents need to get direct answers as to what is not working. Plus the HSC at a national level need to understand what's going on on the ground mm. because until we're in touch we cannot stay away in our ivory towers not engaging with people and having repeated failures within the system mm. uh, as as all my colleagues Paddy, uh, uh, the teacher Michael McGrath, Simon Coveney are continuously saying to me it's not working you need to intervene so what we are doing out of that mm. meeting the therapists within the special schools will be put back in, along with the new school in Carrigaline, mm-hmm. has been will be included in that. And the Taoiseach is very, very clear that we can no longer be building schools and not putting in the supports. Mm. So we're not just dividing what was there before. Should it or should it not be part of every new school built in the country that it's that it's it's literally shovel ready to go in terms of providing support? What's happening to increase resources in staff? Like we constantly hear about a lack of resources and it's almost impossible to retain staff. It's almost impossible to recruit staff. What are you doing about that? That in in relation to the disability services, there's no doubt there's a huge challenge there because primary care are also recruiting 3,200 therapists uh, as we we speak. Um, What we're doing is, there's there's a number of strands in what we're doing with this is, um, one is that we're working with Minister Harris and Kuru to see that staff that have trained in the UK, Northern Ireland, as to their qualifications, that they could be accepted Mm. uh, as part of the post. And the people who are leaving, why are they are they being asked why they're leaving? Experienced people are leaving at every level. They're saying, I've had me fill of the public sector. I'm done. Yeah, because why are there's they huge opportunities. Because there's jobs in primary care. There is jobs in older people. It is actually uh, an employee's market in, in for clinicians at the moment. Yeah, yeah. You see, you need to be able to work hard, work harder to hold them then. Someone needs to come in. Well, we need you. And, and here's what, what, do you, what do you need to make us keep you? Why would, you know, we need you to stay. 
And we do. And um, that is why it is all about ensuring that the people who work as clinicians want to deliver services. They want to be therapists. They do not want to be administrators. And one of the things that I'm doing as part of the allocation of post this year is ensuring that teams actually have proper administration so that the clinicians do what they chose to do as their profession, deliver mm-hmm. therapies. Yeah. Money was granted for my son a few years ago. I was told it has been granted I've still had no services. That's one message. Another one, uh, people have been waiting for seven weeks to get powered wheelchairs for, for a person to hear back from a contractor. But then one call from a private advocate and they're back within 90 minutes. Something's wrong. Someone's not doing their job up the line to get these services in. Uh, and hopefully over time, um, PJ, that we will actually get to the root of having a proper flow of a system. It needs to be run like a private business, um, the HSE, and I'm very clear on that. Mm. Uh, and people who are that's, sometimes that's the problem. perhaps... It seems jobs, to be too business-like. And um, perhaps not, because if it was a business like it would be about KPIs, um, a child in, child looked after, child mm. receives the service, okay. and you would be on a database. Okay, Um Someone says, in COVID times, uh, it was decreed that people needed €350 to live, but they see that a person on full-time disability payment can live on €206. Patrick says, why? And that's why Minister Humphreys produced the cost of disability, the Indicon report, late last year. Um, I sit on the NDIS um, steering group. I'm the chair of it. And every single quarter, we are discussing that. We're putting proposals together that um, the Department of Social Protection can review because it's very clear from within that report, disability and the more complex needs within it is mm. that, that, that the funding doesn't match the need. You appointed clear. a disability stakeholder group. Are you involving them in this? Yes, absolutely. On a day-to-day absolutely. basis? Absolutely. Um, I am at all times engaging with stakeholders. There is 464 organisations. Mm, but you appoint uh, to a specific group. Yes, and we work very closely on all of these matters okay. and a range of other matters as well, which stretch across to transport, which stretch to education, which stretch to employment. Mm. Um, so it's not when we talk about disabilities and we talk about accessing the service, that is my primary function okay. because we need to ensure access to services. But there's a wider range just to, to disability as well yeah. of where we have to look at Couple other things strands com- within other... T- Thanks. A couple of things that have come in before you before you go. Uh, Kate says they know once they're assessed what's ahead for the rest of their lives. There should be a program from the minute they're assessed. It's ridiculous. I can identify with that, Minister, because I, yes. I mentioned my son. We had a battle to get him into primary school, then a battle to get him into secondary school, then a battle to get him to follow on, whereas his twin sister went through the system oh. without a glitch. So I'm in a unique position to see that if you're a child with a disability, your parents will struggle for every little bit of education you need to get. That hasn't changed since Bat O'Keefe was Minister for Education. Now, we do have one caller. It says, I work in disability services. and Rabbit is one of the best ministers we've had, but she's being stymied by the HSE. Are you being stymied by the HSE? There's challenges, there's no doubt within it, PJ, Um, but I have no doubt also with the conversation I had with Paul Reid and Minister Donnelly, Minister Gorman and the Taoiseach Mm. and things will improve for me because, PJ, one thing about Anne Rabbit, I'm not afraid to call it out Mm. and I'll call it out. Well, could we talk again later in the year when you've had some more meetings? 
and, Absolutely, and, and maybe push and something. I'm, I'm, I'm very thankful to you for coming on today uh, and, 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 and speaking with us. Uh, people will continue to believe that those with disabilities are second-class citizens. They will continue to believe that until they see genuine change. And genuine change, first and foremost, at all times, was me believing that if I got the funding and given it to the HSC, that that would make a difference to people's lives. But it's not getting through to the end user. That's, that, that perhaps was some naivety being a, a minister a new to post. But since then, I do believe working, having the funding and matching the need and having very clear communications and managing people's expectations, that's what I'm trying to do. That's what these ministers' forums are about, is bringing everybody with us to understand some of these roadblocks, PJ, are there since you talked about your experiences, some of these roadblocks we have to break them down. And they're getting higher. They're not. They're not going. Yeah, away. unfortunately. Every yeah. single September. Lastly and briefly, another matter, a major talking point nationally: the National Maternity Hospital. As a woman, Anne Rabbit, how do you feel about the inevitable feeling that there's a connection to the church here? Well, uh, as a woman. And if I had to access um, Hollis Street um, this minute, and as a woman, if I had to share a 15-bedded ward, and as a woman, if I was in serious pain, having to walk across the corridor to queue for a toilet, I would not want that. As a woman who has given birth in two different hospitals to my three children uh, and having received the, the, the best of care, um, where I was in a four-bedded and I had my own room in Port Dioncula, um, I genuinely wouldn't wish that on any woman. So my answer to you is we need to get on with and build a hospital um, for women, particularly on the East Coast, and we need a national maternity hospital mm. that meets those needs, along with the neonatal care, because, mm. PJ, I have a little bit of Still experience... Still with a connection to the church, people perceive... <laughs> Yeah, but 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 in three hundred years, it's a tenor year. It's going to be for for three hundred years of, of the lease. Um, the legals, the attorney general, the Taoiseach, and Ron O'Mahony, who I have great time for and huge respect for, she is advocating positively mm. for this. I, I I think we need to get on with it, okay. or we'll be talking in another ten years. I'm going to leave it there. We will talk later in the year. Thank you for spending the bones of a half an hour with us this morning, Minister for Disabilities and Rabbit. Thank you. Thank you. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie. The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 0818 96 96 96. Text or WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. We'll put a podcast extra of uh, my interview with Anne Rabbit up uh, after midday today. We've got a good half an hour. I don't know how you feel that went. I'd like your thoughts on on what she was saying. Um, I've interviewed them all, all of the various disability ministers, all of the various disability spokespeople over the years. My own take upon it, listening to her this morning, is that she realises that she's trying to sort out a shambles. 
I think she does realise that there's a damn shambles uh, in front of her to to, to, to sort it out. Where she goes from here, what she does about that, I don't know. Realising there's a shambles there is the first step. That's that's what I'd be inclined to say. Uh, lots of stuff to come back to from your comments and your calls, and I will do that. And we'll put that podcast extra up a little later. If you have any thoughts on what Anne Rabbit has been saying, whether you believe anything will actually change, I, I can remember asking these questions of ministers back as far as Bat O'Keefe. And, and nothing really changed. And I predict that when we come around to September, there'll be more problems with schools. There'll be more problems with buses. There will still be problems with services. People will still wait in pain for stuff that should be supplied at the, at the end of the working week. So I just wonder whether Anne Rabbit will make a difference. I sense from her voice, I sense from listening to her, that she, she does realise it's a shambles. That's step one. We'll see where it goes from here. Your thoughts at 0818969696. We're sending you to see Crowded House, live at the Marquee, June 27th, and sending you for dinner before it at Sober Lane. So it's the end of June, towards the end of the festival. And what's the song? That's what I want you to tell me. Between us. It's a quick one. Between the name of that song and your name to 083 396 Now, Timmy Long from the boys of the, the Two Norries uh, podcast, uh, you've come up with an idea, Timmy, yourself and James, and you want to get some trained psychologists to come into the schools and to work within the schools. Good morning to you. Good morning, PJ. How are you? Good. I've done some talking to people last year on the programme about uh, ACE, and I've no doubt you've heard of it, Adverse Childhood Experiences. Are you thinking maybe that if you had psychologists in some of the schools, they might pick up on those experiences before they destroy lives? Oh, yeah. Um, Well, the psychologists we're bringing into the schools are educational psychologists to be able to assess the children on learning differences like dyslexia, dyscalculus, dyspraxia, um, autism. So they'll be going in there and they'll be able to find these issues that are going on with the, ch- the children so they can, the children then can be allowed to get the education to suit their needs and their ability. So you want to bring psychologists in privately yourselves? Yeah, that's what we're doing. At the moment, we're we're doing a fundraiser. What we're, we're walking from... Tork Waterfall in the Muckers Road out as far as Kinmare Town on the 14th of May just to raise awareness and to raise funds we have 30 educational psycho- educational psychologist assessments going into three schools so that's 10 each for the three schools so it's Nocknihini Primary School Nocknihini Secondary School and Churchfield Pi- Primary School so each school will get 10 assessments and um, these assessments average between six to eight hundred euros, and so what we done was we multiplied the eight hundred top number, and we came up with a figure of twenty four thousand. So we've had massive amount of support from different uh, educational psychologists, uh, Georgie Cooney from Dyslexia Spell, and we've came with we, we've four 
educational psychologists now on board and they're doing the assessments. But there's an aftercare pro- project as well after the assessments are done to be able to teach the teachers in all the how to educate these children to their needs. Where did the idea come from, Timmy, and how did you go about sorting these psychologists? Because you seem to be very advanced with this plan. Well, I went through the whole education um, system myself uh, with, with, with dyslexia, and it was undiagnosed, and I got diagnosed at the age of 36 in third-level education. And my belief system, the whole way up through my years, was that there was something wrong with me because I wasn't able to grasp things like everybody else in the classroom or, or just just even in society, you know, I just, I wasn't able to read properly, read papers. I'd, I'd look at the pictures or when I'm reading an article on, the, on a, the newspaper or something to that nature, I'd always go to the end of the article and it just didn't make sense. I, I just really didn't know what was wrong with me. I couldn't understand things like a lot of other people. So I I was at home one day and I was, saying, I was thinking to myself, how could, how could I give back to my own community through something that I've experienced myself and it just it was in it was in front of me it was in front of my face mm-hmm. it was it was these assessments so I I, I rang the principal then from uh, Nockenheaney's secondary school and primary school and Churchfield school and I asked them do they have funding for these assessments and they actually didn't have anything there was nobody there to fund these assessments for the children so we we went from there then we came up with a plan and uh We've started this project. It's called Walk This Way to a Wider Education. Mm. And that's what we're doing. You I mean, know, we're starting off these 30 assessments. It's a wonderful idea. I, 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 mm. I mentioned at the start about, you know, adverse childhood experiences. And, and in, yeah. in fact, what happened to you kind of counts as, as one of those yeah. in that you went through school with an undiagnosed condition. Now, this is probably a speculative question, Timmy, but do you think that if five or six-year-old Timmy had mm-hmm. had that, if, the, if that dyslexia had been discovered and five mm-hmm. or six-year-old Timmy had been helped with that dyslexia, yeah. that you would not that have, been you, would your life, is there a possibility, mm-hmm. Timmy, that your life might not have later fallen off a cliff? It's it's a game changer, PJ. It's a game changer in respect to this Right. If if the, if I was diagnosed with dyslexia as a young young child, the school and the teachers could have looked at the report from the educational psychologist and said, right, we need to look at the strong points this child has. You know, they, they're not probably great at reading and understanding things, so we must we must really stoop down to their level and and find a way that this child can learn. You know, because there's so many children slipping through the cracks inside in these schools. Because a lot of the parents aren't able to fund the assessments. The assessments aren't cheap. So it's 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 actually awful. It's absolutely awful because I have experienced it and I know the importance of these assessments for the children. And I think we have to raise more awareness and, and start putting it towards our government because if if we don't, it's just going to keep happening. And, and, and it's my understanding of this. If these kids get these assessments at a young age and they get the, the help they require and the education to meet their, their ability and their needs, I, I see this stopping drug addiction down the line. I see it stopping homelessness. I see it stopping more people going to prison, you know, because they'll have 
some form of an education and, and they'll be taught about it and, and they won't go through the education system with a belief that there's something inadequate with them. And I think it's critical to, to the education system. I think it's I think it's a massive, massive thing to do. That that that's a yes, really, that if this had been found when you were a small boy, you might not have gone off a cliff in the way that you did, Timmy. That's and and, and that's, that's and that's on what you now you're also doing a a, a night with the students in Turnstone Trinity College on May twelfth. Tell me about that. So on the twelfth of May at seven thirty PM Myself, James, Pat Falvey, Gary McCarthy from the cabin and all the lads that are up in the cabin, the podcasters, the rappers, the, there's a few groups there. They're absolutely talented, every single oh, yeah. one of them. So oh, yeah. they're doing an event with us and me and James are doing uh, a bit of a podcast with them and they're going to be interviewing me and James and there's going to be plenty of music. You know, and Pat's going to be up there talking about some of his adventures and in Everest and... Uh, you know, it's going to be an absolute fantastic night. Every single penny goes directly to the walk. It goes directly to walk this way to a wider education. That, that's this night nice week uh, in Turn Springs Sweeney College. Yes. That'll be a fabulous Thursday week. night, the 12th. And then the yeah. walk is and in Kerry on the 14th. Yes, the walk is on the 14th and we start the walk at 10 a.m. sharp. So if anybody wanted to go, they can contact... Um, Go to the GoFundMe, and there's an email and a phone number on the GoFundMe, and you can ring that number or email us, and we'll give you all the details you require. All the details are on the GoFundMe anyway. Everything is there, um, and it'll be an absolute fantastic day. All the educational psychologists are going. Some of the teachers are going. You know, we think there could be up anything up to a hundred people going on the walk, so you, you won't be short of conversation on the walk. You know, Tim, you know. The one thing that I fear that you might come up against, but I would fear more mm. for the person who would do this than for yourself, James, anybody yeah. else, is someone who will say to you, oh, no, no, it's not that simple. You can't do that. Have you come up against them yet? Of course. Of course, PJ, we come up with people like that in every form of life. But we just have to keep believing in, in what we believe is right and just keep moving forward and pushing for that to work pushing for, like this has to happen it has to happen for like it, it's it's not fair let's look at it it's absolutely not fair that a child goes through the education system without being educated how what, where's the sense in that you you can't make sense of it and because the reason they mightn't have the the, the assessment is because their family probably can't afford it yeah. you know we need to look at that it, like everybody deserves the, an equal opportunity within the education system, whether they have money or whether they don't, you know. And we need to look a little bit deeper at the children that don't have the, mon- the financial means to be able to, to get these assessments. And it's, and it's down to adults, it's down to us within the schools, within society, within the government, to be able to fix this matter and get it, get the ball rolling. You know, it's it's critical to okay. it's critical to our country, really, because the, the children of of today are the adults of tomorrow, you know, so we need to really start making making things work here. Timmy, yourself and James, you're you're a couple of legends. Always a pleasure to speak with you on the opinion Thank line. You. Thank you very much. That's Timmy Long from the two Norris. What an incredible idea. We'll give you more details of those two events. The the one in Terence McSweeney College on May twelfth and the walk in Kerry on May fourteenth to raise money to pay for private assessments in the schools 
in Oknahini to find the kind of things that if Timmy admits he was diagnosed with, or he, he knows if he was diagnosed with those things like dyslexia back when he was four, five, and six, his life might not have gone off the rails like it did. A couple of legends, those two. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie Get ready to meet the Cork's 96FM Street Fleet. Heading your way soon. This Saturday, meet the Cork's 96FM Street Fleet from midday at the opening of Pet World Blackpool. We're celebrating with a family fun event with lots of music, face painting and spot prizes. There's entertainment too from Bozo the Clown and special guests Paw Patrol. Join the Street Fleet between 12 and 2 this Saturday at Pet World Blackpool with Cork's 96FM. It will always be known as the Angelina Jolie Jean because she was the first person to go public internationally and of course she had the platform and the status as a celebrity to do it. The Angelina Jolie Jean. This is the gene that makes some women particularly prone to a form of breast cancer. And obviously it, it can be treated. It's radical treatment. Sometimes it's a full mastectomy to avoid possibility of uh, of breast cancer but it it has gained international it's it's a talking point now years ago people didn't know what it was now it's an international talking point and uh, very much uh, the Mary Keating Foundation has taken on the cause as it were of assisting people who have this gene because there are a lot of delays in the testing for it and the treatment of people with this genetic issue. Ashling Drummond, you, you have it and you now, you, you're now a, a peer-to-peer supporter for the Mary Keating Foundation. Good morning. Morning PJ, how are you? Good. Um, explain to people again, what is this? This is a genetic mutation, is it, or a genetic difference? Correct, yeah. So it's a genetic alteration. Um, in fact, everybody carries BRCA genes. So you have them, uh, men, women, we all have them. But um, those of us that are involved in this discussion have a mutated or an alteration on that gene. Um, and depending on whether it's on uh, BRCA1 or BRCA2, you've got increased risk of breast cancer, ovarian cancer um, in women and really importantly, and I suppose something that came up at our Marie conference last week, um, the men need to be massively con- um, concerned as well really? if they are a BRCA1 or a BRCA2 carrier because they've got an increased risk of prostate cancer and breast cancer in um, comparative terms to the population depending on whether they carry the BRCA1 or BRCA2 genes. So that that it's actually very is much, new information uh, to me, I must say. Yeah, I I think that's what's important, PJ, is to spread uh, that word around that this isn't a female issue. You know, it it, it isn't something that just affects women. And um, the Marie Keating Foundation have been wonderful with us in the last few years. And also um, the the conversation, I suppose, has been has been women centric for a long time. But we we very much want to get it out there that if there's a history of prostate cancer in your family on the male side or if there's a history um, of ovarian cancer, 
um, on your on the mother's side or on, on the father's side, that all of the family history, not just the, the female line or the maternal line needs to be considered when you're when you're taking into account the family history of cancer in your family. So it's um it's a wide ranging topic. Isn't um, it? But yeah, yeah. yeah that, that's certainly, and I think that'll be new to a lot of listeners, that, that men can also be affected by this. But what, what's your own story, Ashling? How, would, how was it discovered and what did you have to do? So um, I found out about my alteration back in 2015. Um, my dad had been tested, importantly, um, and he was positive for the BRCA alteration and the BRCA2 gene. Um, and that would have come, in fact, from his father's line. And there's a lot of um, cancer in my in my granddad's uh, family. And he would have died himself of, of prostate cancer when I was little. Okay. Um, so my dad was tested and got a positive gene um, for the BRCA2. I was then referred to the genetics um, service through Cumlin Hospital. And in 2015, I received the news that I was also um, positive for the BRCA2 alteration. Quite a lonely place in 2015. I know it doesn't seem like that long ago. Um, a, a massive amount of work has been done in terms of supports for families carrying these alterations over the last five or six years. But at the time, it was quite a lonely place. There was nowhere really to turn to. And I suppose that's why when I was asked to get involved as a peer supporter with the Marie Keating Foundation and to train to be an ear to another woman or family um, when they're receiving their news so that not one single person would have to go through kind of what I went through. Very lonely space, um, severe lack of services from a psychological point of view for, for families carrying BRCA mutations. It's, it's Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. It's a strange sphere to be in because... For me, I wasn't a cancer patient. I hadn't had a cancer diagnosis. So the, the you know, the support groups like ARC or cancer support services like that, I felt like I didn't really fit in there. And I felt massive imposter syndrome, I suppose, as a non-cancer patient or somebody who hasn't been through recovery or anything like that. So it's um, it can be quite a lonely place to receive um, a bracket you know, gene alteration mm. diagnosis and not know where to really turn. So we're hoping that people will turn to the peer support group yeah. um, with the Marie Keating Foundation because we can be there to help. Is it frightening 
that space, knowing that you've got this thing in your system that can trigger a cancer? Yeah, it's it's kind of like a ticking time bomb. We've 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 often heard that described, and um, by myself, I used it as a phrase years ago, and I know women still do. Um, you you feel like at any point you could find a lump, or you feel at any point that symptoms that might just be, you know, um, like that maybe you wouldn't have given as much um heed to, um, if you weren't aware of your of your status, um. And also you worry for your family because obviously I have two beautiful children. Each of them now have a 50% chance of carrying this gene as well. So there's a, there's a whole array of worry. So you worry for yourself, you worry for your family. You actually worry for those within the family who've tested negative. Um, I have cousins I know who've tested negative and I've, I've, I've people who've tested positive in my family. And um, I think sometimes... The, the guilt of people who maybe don't carry the gene and we've, we've there's a lot of research done on this by colleagues of mine at the moment that can nearly be as mm. hard an area to discuss as well because I, I'm sure he's never really said it but I'm sure my dad carries a lot of guilt that I have it and there's there's absolutely nothing he or anybody could do about it mm. you know so there's there's a lot of assistance and a lot of of help needed luckily we're an open family and we've we've spoken about it but there's some families where bracket is like a dirty word and nobody wants to discuss it. Yeah. And communication within the family unit can be quite difficult if you've got people maybe who don't speak very or aren't close or estranged or maybe, you know, um, long lost cousins. Um, so it, 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 the whole family and communication thing can be quite difficult as well when you're trying to explain to somebody in your family that perhaps they should go and t- get tested because you've been tested mm-hmm. and you have this and it's in the family line. So it's quite a complicated issue. But what I would say is that knowledge is power. And I feel that I'm in a very privileged position now that I have the information that I can manage my risk and I can manage my future yeah. a lot a lot better than if I didn't know. May I ask, Ashling, if you've had to take some of the drastic steps that other women have, have had to take? I, I haven't yet. I am on a waiting list, which obviously is something that Bernie can elaborate on. But mm. um, I have finished my family now. We we joke that my second child was our contraceptive baby. She is wild and spirited. And we have made the decision that I'm 36 now and my my in, my risk is increasing by the by the year. Um, and that I will go ahead with my double mastectomy and possibly a reconstruction. And I'll also be looking to have my ovaries and fallopian tubes removed. Um, but the problem is, is the waiting list. Yeah. It's it's literally you're waiting for the call now. And once I decided to uh, finish having my family, I've been told it'll be probably at least two years before I get a call for, for any type of surgery, you know. And let me bring Bernie in at that point. Bernie Carter, who's Assistant Director of Nursing with the Marie Keating Foundation. So there's Ashling and others like her, Bernie, with this, as I said, yeah. this, this thing inside them that could develop yeah. into a cancer at the drop of a hat. And there's very long waiting lists for, for, yeah. for any kind of treatment. Not good enough. No, it's not good enough. No, and, and well done, Ashling. Like, I think Ashling highlights this an issue on behalf of many people in Ireland that are carriers of the BRCA1 or BRCA2 gene. And yeah, it, you know, things are being done and I don't want to make it all negative. And the HSC sure. did set up a steering group just last year that does include the Marie Keating Foundation and the steering group to look at the needs of those 
with the BRCA mutation in Ireland. Now, they're not looking at the wait list to get the genetic testing in the first place because there is a big, long wait list yeah, there. Yeah, how long is that list? At least in at least 15 to 18 months in the public system. I mean, you can go and get genetic testing done privately. The wait list is probably a little bit less, a lot less, but not everybody does have private health insurance. So, you know, it is very limited as in the public system with the huge wake list. But then once a person does get genetic testing done and may find out they have a BRCA1 or a BRCA2 gene mutation, then there's the next wake list. The wake list to have the risk-reducing surgeries. These surgeries that can reduce the risk of breast cancer and ovarian cancer by up to 90 plus percent. And the huge oh. issue here is that, you know, we totally understand somebody with a cancer diagnosis should get seen first. But there should also be theatre space allocated to those who do need these risk reducing surgeries. I mean, prevention is better than cure. It's cheaper than cure for the healthcare system. Yet people like Ashleen and many more like Ashleen will tell you on members of our peer-to-peer support groups, members of our WhatsApp groups are waiting two to four years to have their double mastectomies and then have both their breasts removed. You know, this is huge surgery, yes. psychologically, etc. These are surgeries that people with a BRCA1 or BRCA2 gene alteration have to have in order to reduce their risk of cancer. And by having the breast surgery, first of all, having a BRCA1 gene or a BRCA2 gene mutation, your risk of breast cancer can go up to about 90%, when it's roughly 12% in the general public. And the risk for ovarian cancer in the general public be roughly 1% to 2%. That can go up to 60% for a BRCA1 mutation and up to 30% for a BRCA2. Wow. So, you know, these are not surgeries that, uh, you know, that people with a BRCA1 or BRCA2 mutation are, are really delighted and looking forward to. They're going for these surgeries to save their lives, to be there for their children, to be there for their family. And yet they have been told, not just do they have to wait to have, say, the double mastectomies and have the breast removed, but then not being able to have breast reconstruction at the same time, which really makes sense. Like, if you're going to have both your breasts removed, it's a massive surgery. If you can have reconstruction at the same time, that's one surgery. Then you're recovering from both surgeries at one time. But these ladies are being told, no, in a lot of places, you have to wait another few years before you can have your reconstruction. And again, this issue is being highlighted, I have to say, by the HSC. It is one of the recommendations of the National Cancer Strategy. We have a National Cancer Strategy 2017-2026. And a recommendation there is to improve services for those with hereditary cancers in Ireland, which include the BRCA gene mutation. So, you know, we do need to look at, um, not the steering group was set up, it has identified the needs. We know the needs now have been identified, so let's put them into action. And one of those actions is, is funding theatre space, funding plastic surgeons to do these risk-reducing surgeries, you know, really saving lives and also cheaper on the healthcare system. Yes, okay. Uh, Ashlyn, to bring you in finally, you are now a peer supporter, worker within, a supporter within the, the foundation. If anybody wants to contact the foundation who's worried about the BRCA gene possibly being in their family, where did they start? Ashlyn? Yeah. The best thing to do is if you go onto the Marie Keating Foundation website, they've got a dedicated space for BRCA, which is fantastic. Um, it's something that was desperately needed and uh, and I have to say fair play to them all because they're plugging a hole 
within the health the healthcare system and the HSE that was was hemorrhaging, you know, women and families who just had nowhere to turn. Um, and if they go on there, there's a form that they can fill in. Um, it's a very short form. It just asks some kind of basic details about um, uh, why they're looking for support or what kind of help they need. And then Bernie and her team within the foundation will match them to one of the peer supporters. So you could be somebody like me who's still in their 30s who hasn't had any surgery yet. You may be somebody who has had a breast cancer diagnosis. You're undergoing treatment at the moment. And in the meantime, you've received news of a bracket. Um, gene alteration in the family and that that comes with its own issues or you may be somebody who's had all of their surgeries um, and who's just looking for a little bit of support on HRT or menopausal issues Um, and you you will be matched with somebody within our team we I've been supporting now for since the start of the program so um, god five years maybe but we've also just brought on board a whole new team of, of fantastic women and from all diverse backgrounds um, who are on different um, stages of the journey. So you'll be matched with somebody that will pick up the phone at a time that's convenient to you and say, look, I've got 40 minutes to chat now. What do you want to talk about? And okay. we're, we're there for those people. OK, and great to hear it. Ashling Drummond and Bernie Carter, uh, who's the Assistant Director of Nursing with Marie Keating Foundation. MarieKeating.ie if you want to find out more, if you have concerns. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie Access all areas on Cork's 96FM. Your guide to nightlife on Leaside. Hi, it's Michael here with an update on Cork's entertainment. Some shows coming up in Collins during May include Roan on the 4th, Alton Conlon on Thursday the 5th, Stephen James Smith plays the following night while there's a silent disco in Ada of the Ukrainian efforts on Saturday, May 7th. Access all areas. The Chemical Brothers have announced their Irish return with an open-air show at Musgrave Park, Cork on June 30th. They'll play with special guests Ketma and James Holroyd and tickets are on sale now from Ticketmaster.ie. Access all areas. You can contact us here at Access All Areas if you have a show, play, exhibition or gig coming up or any live streaming events by emailing us on aaa at 96fm.ie. Access all areas. Your guide to nightlife on the side. On Cork's 96FM. Now, around the country on Saturday morning, thousands of people will take part in Darkness into Light. They will meet. There's about 20 different locations in Cork. I'll give you a list in a minute. They will meet at about quarter past four in the morning and they will walk until sunrise. It's about 5K and they'll bring their dogs and they'll bring their friends and they'll do it because they or someone they connected to them has been affected by mental health issues or suicide or self-harm or other things. Or maybe just because they care about people like that. And it's it's an enormous global event now. It started as a plan, as a project, as an idea a number of years ago. And uh, the woman who had that idea has written a book about it. Uh, Joan Freeman joins me. Joan, good morning. Good morning, PJ. How are you? Good, and lovely to speak with you again, Joan. And you, and you. It seems a long time. It was indeed. Now, did you ever think when you got this first group together to walk in, was it the Phoenix Park, one yeah. morning in May, a number of years ago, that you'd now have them in Singapore, in Sydney, in New York, <laughs> in Auckland, and in Ballydee Hub? Did you ever think yeah. that? <laughs> Not in the slightest. And in fact... 
the the very first walk, which was about four or five hundred people turned up, God helped them in the Phoenix Park that morning in the pitch black. And we, we, we didn't have lights or tents or any of the, the facilities now, you know, that we have. But I think we copped on very, very quickly that this was more than just a fundraising event. It was a day where Ireland would unite in grief for those who died by suicide. And it was, I remember very distinctly uh, seeing this older lady walking by herself. She was clutching a pair of rosary beads. She was obviously thinking and praying for somebody. Then beside her, there were two young fellows um, and they were clutching beer cans at that hour of the morning. And it, it might have been on the way home. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they could have. But the thing is, they, they were wearing T-shirts. We had no T-shirts that first year. But they were wearing T-shirts, and on the back of their T-shirts, it said, we're doing this for Demo. So it, it just showed, it captured instantly um, the mood of Ireland. And th- the reason why we're in Singapore and, and all those other countries is because of the Irish. The, it's the Irish in those other countries that have brought that walk to, to their own community. Now, the book is the story of how it all developed and, and grew. But the yeah. original idea, John, did, did you just sit up one morning and think, <laughs> that might be in it, that might be something <laughs> worth doing? No, believe it or not, I was on my way to Cork. I was flying to Cork. Um, a, a colleague of mine was, um, she had just written a book and she was launching it and it was called Aaron's Legacy and it was, um, it was very important for her. Her little boy died of cancer. So I flew down and on the flight I met this girl called Maria. And there was only two of us on the plane. It was one of those little um, Air Aaron planes. And so of course we started talking and she, uh, what happened was uh, I told her that I was going to be walking a marathon, not running, let me swiftly add. I was going to be doing my very first marathon that year to try and raise funds for Pieta House. I thought I was going to and raised about 250,000. I don't think I even raised 250 euro. But anyway, she happened to tell me, to tell me that she, this was her 12th marathon. She was running it as well. And she had taken part in marathons all across the world. And I said to her, so which was your favourite one? And she said, well, there was one in Washington. And it, it, you, you were running through the night. Now, you had to pay $1,000 fee to be able to do it. Um, and you're running through the night. It was and, and it was running. It wasn't walking or families or anything like that. So I just thought it was a fabulous idea and it was very symbolic, you know, coming out of the dark into the light. I mean, the, the time of the walk is the, is the worst, darkest hour before dawn. Yeah. So it was all very symbolic. So I went home and I was training with a friend to do the marathon. And I said to her, what do you think? She said, yeah, go on, do it. And I said, well, if, if, if I get you a committee next week, will you be the chairperson? <laughs> so she said yes, and within a week I had a committee formed. And you know what, PJ, after that, after a few weeks, they're all strangers, after a few weeks I was totally inconsequential because that committee took over. In fact, Ireland eventually took over. And, and that's really the, the very first... And uh, since that day... 29 million euro. I know, I know, honest to God. That sum allows Pieta House, they've got 20 centres now around the country. I'm not involved with Pieta House anymore, 
but but I do know that they have 20 centres around the country and that is what allows them to keep the service free of charge. Well, it's something that has... I, I just read the list, Joan, and I have a feeling people would say, oh, we've won and we've won and we've won. But just this morning, mm. Cork alone, obviously they're all over the city, Ballancolic, Ballivorny, Bandon, Bantry, Blarney, Castletown Bear, Clonakilty, Cove, Formoy, Glenmire, Inchigila, Cantork, Kinsale, Mallow, Mitchellstown, Sherkin Island, Skibbereen, <laughs> and Yall. Gosh, that's amazing. And that's that, that, and I probably left a couple out. Yeah, it's amazing. I remember when Kinsale, I think it was their first year, uh, they had the, the walk and they had, I think, Garda cars. That's right. That were, that were forming sort of a, um, a, a line. Um, and it was just, it was amazing to see it. It was a blue light parade. Yes, yeah, yeah that's exactly what it was, yeah. It's phenomenal. Phenomenal. Oh, absolutely. I mean, Cork always knows how to do things magnificently anyway. Joan, lovely to speak with you again. Congratulations on the book and congratulations on what started out as an idea you got on a plane. Well, you had to be on In the days you could fly to Cork. <laughs> an, an idea con- conducted on a plane to Cork. So, so we kind of half own it. <laughs> oh, well, for sure. <laughs> Joan, lovely to speak with you. Take care. Thanks, Bye. Bye. 0818 96 96 96. You'll be doing one on Saturday morning. The very, very best of luck to you. And the forecast is actually, the forecast is actually pretty good because you, you'd like to be able to see a sunrise and the wonderful dark sky that rarely ever lets me down tells me that on Sunday morning you will, it'll be cloudy but not too cloudy. You'll probably see a sunrise Saturday morning wherever you are for darkness into light. This little quiz, you know these little quizzes you do, right? Uh, it was a quiz that asked, which intuitive entrepreneur archetype are you? What? Which intuitive entrepreneur archetype are you? When I did the quiz, it uh, told me I was the seeker, which kind of left me knowing even less than when I started. But maybe Lewis Barfoot can help me because Lewis is a singer and a psychologist and a counsellor and is going to do an archetypes workshop in Cork. Lewis, help me out here. What does it mean? I'm a seeker. Hey, PJ, how are you? How are you? <laughs> Thanks for having me. So, well, first of all, I'm not a psychologist, just to be to okay. be um, to get that clear up. I am. I was a medical doctor, and I worked in medicine for many, many years, and worked with psychology, but not. I'm not okay. actually a psychologist. Okay. okay. Um, yeah, archetypes. Well, a seeker. You know, to be fair, um, it's not one of the archetypes I hold and and work with. There are many, many archetypes and many, many models um, for the archetype that different people use but a seeker from my impression will be someone who's adventuring out into the world looking for things looking like has courage someone who's who's seeing beyond the horizon perhaps someone who can um i don't know think of possibilities beyond what other people might be able to like problem solve but also maybe on the shadow side what might be driving that could be like a need to feel whole or to feel something that might be a sense of lacking from within. So things, yeah, that's sort of, that would be my very brief overview of an archetype. I can hear myself in those (laughs) those words. So what is an archetype and how do we discover ours? And then when we know ours, how can we put it to benefit? 
Well, to be fair, it's a difficult thing to define. You know, the word is it comes from the Greek word archetypos, and and archi is like the beginning or the origin or like a source of action, and the typos is an impression. So if you sort of put those together, they're like first principles. And actually, a very famous psychiatrist, you know, Carl Jung, he said they were inborn models of behavior like patterns of behavior and personalities that run deep in our subconscious that play out through us and play out in community so for me looking at the archetypes and learning about them we can learn not only what ones we naturally go to like what we defer to in life but we can also learn about the ones that we might be able to call into our lives to help us for example, like I see a lot of women um, in my work over the years who don't have the um, power in their life to say no. They people please, they apologize for themselves constantly, actually. Um, and that's part of the sort of the old legacy of the patriarchy and perhaps, you know, from their parenting, from their schooling, from messages they received as a child. So, if I meet someone like that, it might be that we want to introduce something like the queen, the benevolent queen energy, to empower them to learn how to honor their boundaries, to learn how to say no and yes, cleanly and firmly, but to keep in a centered place of balance and mm. rootedness and sort of compassion. Um, so, so you know, if you're, someone if you're like a kind of person, Lewis, if you're a kind of person that others feel they can put upon you because they know that you'll give in and they know you'll do what they want, that's an archetype. Well, there's a whole archetypal dynamic, archetypal dynamic going on there, yeah. So the person who's demanding, perhaps, is, is looking outside of themselves for the answers. So if that person came to me, I would want to support them in finding ways to be the own parent to themselves, to be the own um, wise woman or wise man to themselves, to give themselves their own counsel so they can be autonomous and be accountable, actually, and not need to seek outside of themselves. And I do this work with young people, like young teenagers as well, um, sort of empowering them ways to reclaim their intuition their inner voice and really trust that um, and then for the person who's always like leaking energy well then it's like what's beneath that why is that person not honoring their needs not honoring their own um as, like their own fuel tank like you know if they're running on empty half the time they're no use to anyone to be honest so it's about propagating self-care and being really aware of where you are as an individual at any one moment. Like, if I'm exhausted and knackered, I can't be of service to you, you know. Yeah. If I'm troubled with my own stuff, you know, I, I'm not really in the best place to serve someone else. Yeah. And sometimes people do that to avoid their own issues because it's easier to, right. to, to, to get right. involved in someone right. else's Fix um, someone stuff. else's problems and you take your eyes off exactly. your own. Exactly. You have a tour of and, workshops coming up in Cork. Absolutely. Yeah, I've got three at Triscoll coming up, one a month. So um, we've got looking at the maiden, um, which is for female identified people. So like really reclaiming energy from that transition from young woman to adolescent. And 
unfortunately men and women you know have so many shaming messages about the change in the body and um, sensuality and sexuality so it's about sort of reclaiming energy around that time and healing wounds around that and and I suppose integrating like parts that might have been abandoned Um, they're in May uh, June July and September and there's one for one for queen one for mother inner child one for wild and wise so how do people find out more first of all how do they choose the one that they need to go to (laughs) you know what I think if one's ringing a bell or also if one feels like really scary, that's the first one to start with. Um, You know, this I've been doing this work for many years and and it's it's like it's like a yoga class. You keep on doing it because you keep on visiting things with a new perspective. Um, It's like just a good service for the system. So it's not like you come to one and you, you tick a box and you're complete. It's. It's keeping wellness in action. It's okay. it's it's a it's a process. So, I think if anything draws people to them, go for the one that excites them, or they feel terrified by. Okay. That's a good pointer. And right. you know, my website's probably the place to yeah. find them. I was just going to mention that before I leave you, Lewis Barfoot. That's L E W I S B A R F W O T dot com. There's lots of them there. It's a, it's a field I'd love to talk about more. So maybe we'll talk about it again during the summer. Lewis, thank you very much. Uh, 0818 96 96 96. What, what type are you? Thoughts? Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96 FM. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie. The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 0818 96 96 96. Text or WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. It is gorgeous out there right now. Absolutely gorgeous. And the forecast for the weekend, very, very promising. Friday, you'll see a bit of rain. But Saturday and Sunday, looking tickety-boo. You might even want to clean down the barbecue and get it ready. Because you might get the few burgers on over the weekend. That'd be nice. 0818 96 96 96. We had a couple of things I wanted to get back to. Loads of them in actual fact. Um, so I'll start with the tunnel. We started off this morning talking to George Shea, editor of Cork Bio, Because something very interesting happened down the tunnel this morning. What's the way it's supposed to work? So the tunnel picked up, the sensors picked up on this truck or tractor carrying loads and loads of straw bales. And it sensed that it was too high, uh, too big for the tunnel. And it sensed it about a kilometre out. It took note of the registration number and put it up on the big signs. Here, attention, registration number, XYZW. you got to go back. You can't come in. You're too tall. That's how it's supposed to work. And that worked this morning, uh, which seems to be the sensors are kicking in and they're working properly. Caller says, what about the new road from Ring of Skiddy? The trucks using Ring of Skiddy are huge. Are they going to be not able to use the tunnel now? You see, there are problems that come with it. Caller says, I honestly don't know how that tunnel works. I was going through it yesterday. Fair deuce to the truck drivers because some of them are nearly skimming it. One false move and they're gone. 
it's so close, will they have to recalibrate every time they resurface? Which seems to happen a lot. Or does someone come along after a resurfacing and ensure the height hasn't been lost and enforce a certain standard on the return? That's a very good point. It seems to be a very tight tunnel for the type of work that it does, which is fair. And lots and lots of trucks and deliveries go through that tunnel on a daily basis. And the rigged room they used to have is gone. Now, on J1s, this is... uh, Rather a long comment, but we were talking to Kira earlier this morning about her difficulty with securing her J1 and she's afraid now that she might just have to pack it all in and not go away because by the time she gets to go to America, it'll be nearly too late. I signed up with USIT in late September 2021, paying a €99 Euro deposit to secure my place on a J1. Fast forward to today, May 5th, 2022. I'm still waiting on a DS-2119 form, which I need to be able to book my embassy interview. I've paid USIT in full, going with their jobs program, meaning they sourced the job. I was assured multiple times that I'd be all set to leave before the end of May. In reality, I expected to be closer to late June. They never confirmed with me whether I'd gotten the job or not. I was lucky enough to get through to them on the phone last week, and many have had not had that luck. They confirmed to me I had gotten the job. I can't help but wonder if others who haven't been able to get through even know if they have a job or not. This phone call didn't relax me at all, though. In fact, I'm even more worried now. I paid over €1,100 prior to the deadline set by USIT, and I have little to show for it. It states on the website my interview was going to be on the 10th of March. Didn't happen until April 12th. I've sent two emails to USIT, In the past 10 days, neither of them have been responded to. They also haven't provided me with contact information for the employer. I gave the date of May 30th as a work start date. I have no way of contacting anyone to explain that this is looking unlikely now. I'm afraid if I go over later than expected, they won't find it worth their while to employ me for a significantly shorter amount of time. I'm now beyond frustrated and stressed. I start exams tomorrow, and this is the last thing I expected to have to worry about. I currently have no visa, no flights, no accommodation. I'm at a loss to do to what to do. And it just feels like a waiting game to see whether I'll end up going or not. There's a lot of it out there. 0818 96 96 96. Now, to look at the title of this new book by Sophie White, you will think it's a DIY manual because it's called The Snag List. It's not that, is it, Sophie? Good morning. Hi, good morning, PJ. No, no, it's uh, nothing to do with DIY. Um, It is a novel. um, So it is called The Snagglist because it's about three women who get together to kind of do a snag list of their lives. So obviously a snag list is usually what you try and get your builder to come back and do after they've done some work in your house and it's the little bits of unfinished things. Um, But for my three characters, uh, Lindy, Rowe and Alva, they are looking at their own lives and looking at all of the unfinished bits in their own lives and their regrets and the roads not taken and the book is about them trying to go back and fix those things but in the course of fixing those things they of course 
sort of spectacularly ruin their own lives. Yeah. It's, um, it's so set yeah. in a in a kind of a it's it's set in a new housing development outside of Dublin, which is one of these all mod cons on steroids. Housing totally, estates. yeah, yeah. It's almost kind of Stepfordy. The estate is called Monterey Valley, and that's how they all get to know each other. They move there, and it's a place where it's kind of like hyper, kind of futuristic tech. Sort of everything is done for you there. Every resident has um, a life curator that's kind of a bit like an au pair for adults. They do absolutely everything for you, and it's almost a bit like a kind of a pastel dystopia because, you know, it's kind of a very strange life um, where, you know, all of the rough edges of daily life is kind of, they're polished off. And what are you left with then, really? You know, it's it's kind of, you know, luxury, but at what price? And it's, yeah, quite strange. And they all bond over feeling very out of place there. And um, like I said, they're kind of left with almost too much time to think. So we, um, we live and, in this perfect place, uh, but it, but things are far from perfect in our lives. Exactly, exactly. And things are really far from perfect in each of their lives. So Lindy is kind of one of the main characters and she is like CEO of her son's YouTube channel. Um, so she has a son, he's 11. He's like her boss and her employee rolled into one and her son. And basically he's gotten really famous on YouTube for one of these channels where he plays games um, for other kids and he's got millions of subscribers. So my eight-year-old, basically I kind of uh, stumbled into this because my eight-year-old is obsessed with these kid YouTubers. And like I would be watching with him and I was just absolutely fascinated by this Mm. life. That seems, I mean, it's quite, I suppose, I think kind of ethically dubious um, to, you know, be kind of making money on your kid's childhood. And I don't know, like the level of exposure for these kids is wild. And Lindy in the book is very conflicted about how they make their money. And I suppose the fact that all of their financial eggs are in this one basket, even their home in Monterey Valley, they've been given it. So and they are, you know, in return, supposed to be plugging it on their YouTube channel. Um, and so it's it's Lindy who comes up with the idea for the business, the snag list. It's kind of like she sort of decides she kind of wants to kind of try and get into life coaching and help other people to kind of, you know, address their regrets. And I suppose the irony is that she has so many regrets herself. Like she has kind of backed herself into a corner with her kids' YouTube channel and, and, you know, her own marriage is up for dissection because they are famous on the internet. You know, it's, it's a very strange life. It's a collection of all the things that can go askew Mm. in the dream life. It's like watching or reading about a reality TV show, take someone like, totally. for example, the Kardashians, and you watch them, and you enjoy mm. them for what they're worth enjoying, and then you think, behind all of it, they are so broken. So you're reading this book with yeah. all these people with the dream life in Monterey Valley, and you know, behind it, they're all broken in different ways, and, and, the, and, and that know. brokenness comes to the surface. But it's very, very funny. I was about to say, I mean, it's definitely and it's aiming to be 
funny, lighthearted. There is serious themes in it, like, you know, alcohol abuse and, and you know, how we're living at the moment on the internet and social media. But it's totally like, I mean, in so many ways, I'm making fun of these things and, you know, like trying to be entertaining. I mean, I think most feedback I'm getting so far from readers is that like it's really escapist and entertaining and you know great for like you know taking on holidays and you know it's not yeah. a taxing read you know it's yeah. I found it's shades totally, of desperate housewives there's lots, so. yeah yeah there's lots of like really like fun bonkers elements in it like one of the characters Ro her kind of big regret um, that Lindy tries to help her with is that she's kind of never gone out for her dreams of, of being in musical theatre and she in the course of the book becomes involved in this musical that's called Voices of Glory and it's all about Ireland's Eurovision winning streak of the early 90s <laughs> and she is playing Neve Kavanagh in this totally off the wall Eurovision musical in the book and like that's a real like pet love of mine I love Eurovision and like I'm really obsessed with it I always have been and uh, so I had so much fun writing this fictional musical where like you know casting the different players as kind of you know villains and you know uh, it was very fun to revisit all the old videos of it all like I I was on YouTube for hours watching all the performances and Neve Kavanagh is my favourite of all our Eurovision stars she just always will be um, just such an icon I mean obviously all of them are icons uh, but In Your Eyes was my favourite You won't know this but I believe it or not part of a WhatsApp group called the Eurovision Brains Trust and last night we had our look no over way. all the entries so I'm, a, I'm, I'm as oh, sad about this as you are you, so, book, Oh my god, you're yeah. Eurovision royalty I was, PJ I was, there, I was there in Mill Street that night and I gate crashed no We gate crashed Neve's party So yeah, you're, you're, you're talking to oh a my god. here <laughs> we This gate, is amazing because We gate, we gate crashed I, the party Yeah Oh, that is so cool. I like, um, I really want to get a copy of it actually to Neve Kavanagh. I'm kind of working on it at the moment. I hope she's flattered because it is all born out of love and a little bit of obsession. But in the book, I couldn't quote from the songs because of, you know, copyright and stuff. So I ended up writing a song. Um, <laughs> the lyrics of which are included in the book. Uh, there's a moment where the fictional Neve Kavanagh sings this song. Um, and so, I mean, I'm not like, I'm not trying to leapfrog over all of the other very good entries, but, you know, if you want, you know, to to, to get my song, you know, on your vision, that would, you know, that would not be a tragedy for me. I would so be amazing. very happy. Sophie, I think it's a book that will be downloaded onto dozens of Kindles to be read about around swimming pools and on beaches in the summer. I hope I, I really so, do. yes. It's it's a lot of fun. I've I've only scanned it for the show. I look forward to digesting it in 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 in, in detail. Uh, Sophie White, thank you very much. The book is out. It's called this. It's called the Snag List, and it's it's actually very funny. Very 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 funny. There's there's a line in it about about Alcoholics Anonymous, which I wouldn't read on the air. No, I won't. No. Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. Thank you, Sophie. Right, I haven't done this in a while. Uh, must remind you, we're sending two people today to see Crowded House at the Marquee on the twenty seventh June. 
Okay, 27th June, Crowded House, live at the Marquee, and to dinner at Sober Lane beforehand with our friends at AikenPromotions.com. Name the song and your name. Between us. Alright, the name of the song and your name. To 083 396 Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie. Every year, Cork people share their stories to support a very worthy cause. And each time, we're astonished by their amazing bravery. If you need a light to shine it. 96FM Giving for Living Radiothon returns May 26th to 28th for Cork Cancer Services. And I'll be there. Every year we speak to people touched by cancer. So if you've got a story to tell, we'd love you to get in touch. Simply email radiothon at 96fm.ie. Email radiothon at 96fm.ie to find out more. I'll be everything you want to. I'll be there. The Giving for Living Radiothon. Supporting Cork Cancer Services. May 26th to 28th. Only on Cork's 96FM. Okay, we had a message from uh, Paul. And I just want to read this. And I don't know if anybody can help him. But we'll see. I'm just looking for a bit of help. I'm 21 years old. I'm living in Atkins Hall on the Lee Road. I suffer from epilepsy and from my mental health. I live on my own. Unfortunately, the past couple of months, my mental health hasn't been the best. I got a puppy, and that's been really beneficial. Unfortunately, now, my landlord is evicting me. My lease is coming to an end, and I, I, I was aware it wasn't getting renewed. I've been to the council and to Threshold. To be honest, I'm getting no help from anyone. I have to be out by the 4th of this month. I'm coming to ask you if you could ask on radio for any landlords that might have a place for me. Reaching out to is my last hope, as by today, Thursday, I will be homeless. And to be honest, the thoughts of being homeless is making my mental health very bad. And that, in turn, affects my epilepsy. I'm honestly scared for my life. I've no family to turn to. And I don't want to be living in a tent with my puppy. You're my last hope of getting any help. And I would really appreciate it if you could do so. Thank you. That is so sad. That is so, so sad. Another one on J1 visas. Um, I've sent Usit an email every second day for the past month trying to get in contact. I get a reply two weeks later answering one of my questions. And statements that say, well, don't worry, we'll get back to you as soon as possible. When they should be answering there and then. My start date has been pushed back now to the middle of June. Seeing as I found the job myself, my employer is confused as to why so I'd be so late. Seeing she, 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 she signed my employee forms in January. And I submitted them straight away. I didn't get a response or update until the first week of April. I've contacted them on social media to be told, contact them on another platform. I've asked for the CIEE, that's the sponsor company that sends out the forms. I've asked for that number multiple times to put the matter into my own hands. No response there. I feel completely lost and defrauded now. Employers don't know where they stand. 
with student employees who are unreliable. We're at a total loss, not knowing if we'll leave before the end of June at this rate. And our hard-working money, which as a college student is tough to get in the first place, would appear to have been wasted. Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six and one more that's come in and you know we started talking about J one yesterday we got a bit of a flood I wonder could this be something the same because there's not just one person Marion has been on to raise two points with us she said the motor tax office closed during COVID there was the most beautiful person in the post office round the corner who used his personal account to help out the elderly by taxing their cars online for them. Because they went into the post office in desperation, wondering if there was a facility there. He went to a lot of trouble for no reward, other than knowing he was a wonderful person. Secondly, the motor tax office is still not open, unless you make an appointment. They're booked out about a month in advance. Are they not marginalising the elderly and others? How did this happen? Either it was COVID or it wasn't, but restrictions are over now for offices and for retail. That raises a point that my late father-in-law, God bless him, used to say to me years ago. There was no good reason why you couldn't go into a post office, any post office, and renew your motor tax. No reason at all why you couldn't do that. So the office still closed. It closed for COVID, but all the other offices were open. So why is the motor tax office still closed? Good question. 0818969696. Three weeks today. Three weeks this very day. We will be about six and a half hours into the Quark's 96FM Giving for Living Radiothon. And we need your help to prepare us for that couple of days. We'll be raising funds once again for Cork Cancer Services, of course. Last year, you couldn't do coffee breaks. This year, we're able to do coffee breaks and we want you to do them at work, at home, at school, wherever you want to do a coffee break and get the coins for us. Start loading up your coins. And I know loads of people aren't using cash anymore because cards and taps and all this kind of carry on. But you've got coins at home. Use, gather them together into a change collector box for us. And we have a Jersey Day on Friday, 27th May. So wear your jerseys, wherever you're going, work, school, and help to raise money. All going into the Cork's 96FM Giving for Living Radiothon. You can get all the details and sign up for a, a pack now at 96FM.ie. We're so looking forward to this. We did it last year, but we weren't able to do it in full effect, and we couldn't do it at all in 2020. But we're back in 2022. The Giving for Living Radiothon, May 26th to 28th. Only on Cork's 96FM. Sometimes the title of an event grabs your your imagination. And you think, I need to find out more about this. Roofed by the Sky is taking place at Photo Island Resort on Tuesday next, May 10th. Roofed by the Sky. Gillian Paul, what that's is it? What that, is it? Good morning. That's it. PJ, well, basically, Roof by the Sky is an, an initiative uh, created by three childcare providers in Cork to promote outdoor play. And we are inviting parents and teachers and providers and policymakers to come to photo on Tuesday evening at half past seven 
for an evening with Joanna Fortune. Um, you can buy your tickets. I'll be killed if I don't get this in at least twice. You can buy your tickets on the Roof by the Sky uh, website where you learn all about us. Yeah. But I've been on before with you, yeah. um, um, PJ, promoting outdoor play. And I think we all know how important it is. But increasingly, you know, it's being emphasized by everybody. And it's not just a job for parents and providers. It's the whole of society. Uh, you know, the recommendation now is that children under five get three hours outside every day and older children get one hour. And we know that this isn't happening. And this particular summer is a very important summer for Irish children because it's the first normal one really in three years. Yeah. And we really we feel it's a great time to remind people, you know, let's not fall into the trap of leaving them inside on their screens for the summer. But we also know that, you know, that's a battleground for parents. So we're calling in the parenting expert. We know that it's a struggle to get kids outside sometimes. And Joanna Fortune is coming to Cork, which is great for us um, because she's full of wisdom. She's 25 years clinical experience and she's going to address this very issue. She's very good at, at providing strategies that help us to reframe how we look at everything. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I could spend the day telling you why outdoor play is so important and how it helps children. It helps their physical development. It helps their mental sensory integration. But one of the things when I was looking at one of the questions I'll be asking her about, apart from how do you get your children outside, but it's really great for social development. And this wasn't something I thought about. Um, you know, as in, once you go outside your front door, you're going to meet people. Yeah. And your children are going to have to negotiate with that. They're going to have to, maybe they'll join in with a game that has rules, so they'll learn to play. They realize they're not, you know, that there are other people in the world and they have to find ways to, to be empathetic to them. And um, that's a really interesting thing that I, I certainly will be asking her about. And it's going to be a very interactive evening. You can pop your question into the Roof by the Sky website where you can also buy the tickets. I think the nature of children wanting to go out and, and being drawn out has changed. And, and the reason I think it has changed is I grew up in a different world. I won't say how long ago it was, but when we were young and the weather started to improve like this in May, we were hoofed out the door. Get out, play, make friends. Now, by the very nature of society, parents have to be far more careful. Absolutely. I think that's that's another issue. There is a safety issue, but I think there's ways we can get around that. And Joanna is going to explore those on um, in, in, in all sorts of ways on Tuesday night in FOTA and you can be there and we can talk all of that out. I think the safety issues are there, but I think perhaps they're not as large as we think in our minds. And of course, Joanna is the author of 15-Minute Parenting. So time is the... She gets it. Time is the issue with most parents. You know, where am I going to get the time in the day? And she's very good at kind of framing the notion that small changes make a big difference. And I'm really looking forward to exploring that with her. We'd invite all parents to come along. And, you know, let's, let's figure these out for society so that our children will 
have the experience you had in your childhood of being huffed out for the whole summer this summer, a particularly important summer after what we've been through. Yeah, yeah. yeah. In your own work, and we've talked about it previously, about getting children out into the four seasons of the year, it all ties in with this. Exactly, exactly. And I think it works. Like, there's, there's lots of people in society that are... Uh, talking about this agenda, agenda and really realise how important it is, but it's not happening. That's the problem. Mm. You know, we know from the growing up in Ireland studies, you know, from walking around your local parks or towns, that it's the same children you see outside all of the time. That it's that we all need support and encouragement for this. Mm. Something, and that's, something else that I know, and again, it'll come up from my childhood. It's a nature, it's a natural thing. We've talked before about how I hate winter and I still do and I always will. But, but this time of year, I notice myself doing something. And I know this is from my childhood. The minute I go home today, I will open all the doors and windows at the back of the house, finish my afternoon's work with all those doors and windows open. And then instead of taking my break in front of the television, I will take my break out in the garden. I'm exactly. drawn out there. Exactly. And I mean, it's it's simple things. You can just, you know, as I say, you were talking about taking your break in the garden, but maybe have your breakfast outside. Imagine the excitement of children waking up on these kind of mornings and, you know, having breakfast outside with mum and dad. It's a moment of connection. And on Roof by the Sky, we're very positive about promoting encouraging small changes that will make a difference to your child. They'll make a difference to your child's happiness, their mental health. It's increasing anxiety amongst children. And we know all the scientific research shows that getting outside helps all of that. Mm -hmm. We know there's increasing, you know, um, mental anxiety in adolescents getting outside all of that. In a way, it's about being fully human. You're talking there about being fully human. When you're sitting in front of the television, you use your eyes and your ears. But when you get outside, all of the senses are involved and you're fully human. And the more children experience that, the better for them. But the problem with society is that it's not happening. Mm. So in Roof by the Sky, where you can get tickets for our Evening with Joanna Fortune on our website, we are promoting this for society's sake. It's not just a parent problem. You know, we talk about children having a nature deficit disorder, but adults have it too. We're all craving that connection with nature and a place in the world. And, you know, I think as well, you know, there's a lot of talk about environmentalism. This is the other side of the coin of environmentalism. If we don't promote outdoor play and a connection with nature for children, they're not going to have any connection with the world. And they may not protect it for the future. Mm. Um, I mean, you were talking about children who have difficulties um, in school earlier on and, you know, people leaving school with no education. And I think we've very serious questions to ask about the primary education system. I know there's a, there's a you know, a, a focus towards outdoor play in, in primary schools. But, like, when I look at schools as I drive around, you see these beautiful grounds. And all of the, you know, 100 children are in the box, mm-hmm. you yeah. know, um, with just their eyes and their ears being stimulated. And we think that's going to work for everybody. 
We can't continue to do the same things when we know the research is vital in this whole area. This, yeah. We don't have any time to lose with this. And I think this summer after the pandemic is the time that all of us in society, we have a duty to do this. And the three people that have started Roof by the Sky, we believe this very strongly. You know, we're putting our resources where our mouths are and we are inviting parents to come with us on this journey. We have this is the inaugural event this year with Joanna. But next year we have a very big convention planned for Cork. And of course, Cork is very lucky because we have this amazing landscape around us that we can avail of. Even if you live in the middle of Cork City, you're not very far away from a beautiful tree and a beautiful park. Mm. And we that that whole environment has so much to offer our children. And the question is, why aren't we doing that when we know it's so important? Why aren't we using it as a learning environment? Mm. And if we get this ball rolling and growing, I think this whole movement will have a wonderful effect on society, you know, in every possible way. Mm. Do you know, a simple thing as well, again, this time of year is the, the, the board's and children can watch nature documentaries all day. They can read books all day. But to take them out and show them, look, there's a little robin. There's, there's a starling. There's a magpie. Show them. You see the wonder in their eyes. Exactly. Absolutely. And, you know, life is about, we've spoken about Florence Williams, who will be coming to our convention next year. She has that beautiful phrase that you can microdose on moments of awe every day. But like you you say that the issue is that the kids don't want it because, you know, we have to accept that technology is exciting. You know, they're involved in the game. It's also addictive. And, you know, it's becoming a battleground. You know, no, I'm not going out now. And then there's a fight and you give in because it's hard and you've had a busy day and you know that's the kind of advice we want to, the advice to get over that little hump to, mm. to compete with big tech you need a few psychological tips and an evening with Joanna Fortune I think next sure. Tuesday that's the way to go okay. you know she's got clever strategies to help us give me, get give me that lovely quote again that you said 30 seconds ago that we can microdose on moments of awe in nature every day. That is sensational. Isn't it lovely? I love that. I love that. All right. Tickets are available and roofbytheskite.ie. The convention is next Tuesday, May 10th, half past seven in photo. Gillian, as always, a pleasure to speak with you on the opinion line. Thanks very much. 0818 96 96 96. And I know people say, oh, Coogan, you're a hypocrite. You don't want to go outside the door. No, I hate winter with an abiding passion. I hate it. The only thing I hate more than winter is autumn. But the end of spring, that we're in now, and the summer, I love it. And I can't get enough of the air. 0818 96 96 96. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie. Cork's 96FM. Yeah, that's roofedbytheSky.com. RoofedbytheSky.com.
com. I think I might have said dot ie. Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. Now I, <laughs> Jake Carter. I one before we talk about your your tour and your upcoming gigs and all of that. I I wanted to ask you what we have. For example, your your big brother has a has a fan club in this radio station. Well, I suppose more aid constitutes a fan club on her own but but we do and and you've your, your big brother you, you you seem to be kind of trailing around in his shadow making a music career for yourself do you ever feel a bit intimidated by that good morning hi pj thanks for having me on um not at all to be honest obviously kind of i don't know if you've listened to my music but it's completely separate oh totally um and that was one of the things kind of when i first moved over to ireland that i, I wanted to stick to and um, and the last kind of all the music that I've released is kind of self-written with different co-writers. So uh, to be completely honest, I look at it the other way. I, I owe Nathan a lot. You know what I mean? He's been great to me uh, growing up and, and coming into this industry. You know, it's it's not an easy it's not an easy business to try and make your way in. And yeah. I, and I'm very, very thankful to him for all the help he's given me. Your performance on a certain dancing competition did, did, didn't, did you know? <laughs> no. It didn't do me any harm no. any yet. Uh, back in 2018 now, which is crazy. That's that long ago? four years ago now, yeah. Wow. COVID's kind of took two years away. So, um, yeah, it's crazy. And uh, things were going great after that. We were touring every year and then... Uh, obviously, COVID has kind of put a halt to everything, but but now we're back and we're back with a bang, and we're we're hoping to kind of keep things going from where we left off before before you're everything shut down. You're around schools at the moment. What are you doing there? We are actually, yeah. To be honest, we used to do that um, before kind of COVID, and and then obviously during COVID it wasn't possible. But um, I I enjoy going around different schools. I mean, I, I'm only 23 years of age, and I remember when I was in school, and uh, you know it was it was kind of wouldn't have been you know, the easiest years of some people's lives. So I, I enjoy going around and telling them all about how I've made it to where I am so far and yeah. doing Q&As and, you know, playing them new music and telling them about what's coming up. So it gets them out of lesson for for an hour or so and it, it makes them happy as well. So uh, it's it's something that I, I really enjoy doing. And we're in uh, in and around Fomoy actually today. We're two schools in Fomoy and we're in Mitchellstown and we're in uh, over in Lismore and Waterford as well, so uh, it's it's great, yeah. It's uh, it's really good. Do you know what I like about it, Jake? There's so many kids coming through schools who who love music, but their only exposure to it is for you know watching shows where the myth is that there's overnight stardom to be had, whereas we all know there isn't. You know, exactly, there isn't. Yeah, the hard yeah. work, and the graft involved. That's one of the, the things that I uh, get asked a lot when I'm in schools is, you know, how, how have you got to where you're at? You know what I mean? And and the, there's only one answer, hard work, you know what I mean? And a, a lot of knockbacks. I mean, the amount of times, even still now, when you've you've new music out, you, you spend hours sending it on to different people and uh, hundreds, thousands of emails, you know what I mean? But you, you just have to keep going. And I think if you really love something, you're going to stick at it, you know what I mean? So uh, it's great showing them what can be achieved but as well they need to know how hard it actually is to get there because nowadays as well with the the likes of tiktok and instagram and spotify people are just so accessible to things and they just think it happens so easy which as as, as we know is not necessarily the case the industry has changed entirely through the likes of tiktok and and spotify and all of those it's a totally different industry now Completely, yeah, and in a good way as well. You know, and it's—I mean, it has its—it has its downfalls, but there's definitely benefits of it with the likes of TikTok. I mean, 
you could put a video up of you singing a song that you wrote that night and you know it could be viewed mm. by a million people straight away do you know it's yeah. it's amazing that I'm it thinking can in do terms that of people who are doing gigs you know around the country and and you do your gig and you're in a pub or a concert hall or wherever you are and people say oh I love that music great because there's a ton of CDs or a ton of albums down the back of the hall there's no need for that now they can go and download the whole thing but it's that's made it. I mean, it's, that's... it's made the job different it's made it harder yeah, that's that's one of the downfalls, I suppose, is the actual sales of music. You know, most people don't buy music now. They just stream it online, so they don't actually own it. Um, and that's definitely something, especially for the likes of songwriters who who live off royalties. They don't really get much royalties out of the stream. Do you know what I mean? Whereas if you're physically buying an album uh, or buying a single even online, that's all kind of gone. Now, most people just use Spotify or Apple Music. So it has changed a lot. And, you know... Um, it is it is tough. I think live music in general, not as many people go to it nowadays as they used to. You know, I remember growing up and and going to the local kind of pubs or halls where there would be different acts on. I don't think many people do that nowadays. And uh, there's so many amazing venues in Ireland as well. It's there funny are. enough we're we're gigging there in Formoy next week. In the Palace, the Palace, the Palace Theatre, which venue. is a it's stunning, absolutely stunning. And like, I wouldn't have even known it was there. Do you know what I mean? So it was random enough. I was down judging uh, the All Island Drama Festival in the theatre. And when I was there, I was like, you know what? I'd love to do a gig here. And I was chatting to the fellow that owned it. And he was like, well, let's do it. So so we're gigging there next Saturday. And I'm really looking forward to it because it's such a lovely theatre that just doesn't get any live no. music in it. So I found myself wandering around it one day. I found myself in it one day a year or two ago going, crikey. Who, who knew this was here? It's gorgeous. Exactly, yeah. And you, and there's, you, there's so many of them around the country, do you know what I mean? Yeah, you've got a website, people can see where your new music is. And we where do, yeah. Up. We've a, a new single there out actually last Friday called Who We Are, which is available everywhere, as we just said, on Spotify and everything nowadays. Uh, we have a website and we're on all the social medias, on Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, okay. Tinder, you name it, we're on everything. <laughs> all right. Well, listen, good luck with it and it's good to chat with you on the show. Uh, Jake Carter. Um, Younger brother of Nathan doing a totally different kind of music. All his own work, as it were. Good man, Jake, thanks. And he's in Fomoy, the palace, the beautiful palace in Fomoy, on the 14th of May. 0818 96 96 96. Right, where are we? Now a very short snatch of Crowded House. Michelle? Hello. What, what's the song? I don't dream it's over. Indeed. I, to find a bit of that that people didn't know was tough. <laughs> but anyway, you're, you're from Bandon and you'll be heading off to see a Crowded House at the Marquee at the back end of June. And we'll also give you a grub in Sober Lane before that. All right. Oh, I'm delighted. And that's thanks to our friends at Aiken Promotions. Michelle, thank you very much and well done. And that, I think, is about the size of it. God, it's been a busy one for only Thursday. Yeah, that would be it. Yeah, the programme edited by Fiona Corcoran, produced and researched by Fergal Barry. See you tomorrow, just after nine. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.